Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 34 of the No Look Past Podcast presented to you by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, a.k.a. my mom's favorite son that was internet plagiarized for the first time and has no idea how to feel about it. And I have had calls with me, Andy Clint, so no look good. First, before we start this show, I have to give a shout-out to a very, very, very special lady and that is baby in the blue top and the yellow skirt from last night. Keep doing what you're yeah. doing. Steph, we're, I have a prize, baby. We're going to get into her because she has been identified, and, and we are definitely going to get into that a little later into the show. Um, but let's start. We're obviously going to be talking about finals all day you know, for, for the show. And with the outlet pass, the first pass in any fast break, so it's the first pass in our show. Andy, there was a massacre last night in Golden State, and I know it was a massacre not based on the final score, but based on the fact that I can make a legitimate case that former net, that's right, former net Richard Jefferson was the second best Cavalier on the floor. And we'll get into all that, but the outlet pass, a bit of a curveball for you. Uh, last night on the telecast, Mark Jackson called Clay Thompson the best two-way player in the league. And sources say that Mr. Flint is closing in on making Clay his next client to go along with the superstars he regularly defends on the show, including Russell, I Dress So Bad It's No Longer Funny Westbrook, DeMarcus, He Started It First Cousins, and Jimmy, Yes, I Am the Chicago Guard with Two Good Knees Butler. So, Andy, defend your boy, Clay Thompson, best two-way player in the league. Uh, I can't. He's not. Um, <laughs> Mark Jackson, I, I, I listen, when he said it, I kind of – stood up out of my seat and I was like that's my boy talking about his old boy you know it's like your ex and you got to keep saying good things about him because secretly you want him back in the relationship that's how Mark Jackson is with the Warriors I think but no I mean I, I think you can probably start talking about Clay Thompson being a top five two-way player but I mean we're talking about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and even Draymond Green these guys say you're nuts so I, I think it's, it's a little soon but Clay's definitely up there his defense is, is great Let's not forget the other guy in the final. LeBron James is, is definitely still up there. I mean, I think he, he held I, the I crown that was for a given. long time. <laughs> he held the crown for a long time, and then I think Kawhi has sort of taken it from Paul George absolutely in the discussion. But not even going to try it. You just you just lost your client, man. You you got to stick with the with the trio you got there, which is a pretty good trio. You can make a pretty, pretty good team. I, I mean, I don't know about the uh, the head case of. DeMarcus Cousins or Russell Westbrook, that'd be an interesting team. But basically what you're saying is when Mark Jackson said it, you just kind of, you wanted to believe him, but you were like, well, we don't believe you. You need more people. Which I think was the consensus reaction from, from Twitter and, and the likes. But uh, I agree. I think Clay Thompson definitely is up there. Uh, he definitely, of you know, of the guys, especially, especially Kawhi, because Kawhi sort of his offensive game has sort of come into the light this year, maybe more so than in the past. But, Clay Thompson sort of has maybe the best offensive game as, and, and is, like, a great defender. So, uh, I don't know, Paul George, it, it's kind of hard to argue against Paul George in that case. But I, I think that's more so what, like, what Mark Jackson was going for, even though maybe you didn't say it the best. Because like, Clay Thompson is such a, like, such a great offensive player, and he's also a great defender. And I don't know. Uh, it, it's it's still indefensible. So let's let's move on to the NBA Finals before we get ourselves in trouble here talking about Clay Thompson as the best two-way player in the league. Uh, as I said already, things are looking grim for Cleveland. It's been all Golden State so far, and by the looks right now, they had their finals against the OKC Thunder in the Western Conference Finals. So, Andy, are the finals already over? Is, is it a wrap? Is there anything that they can do? You know, I mean, after seeing last night, and I'll be the first one to admit, that this guy did not 
I uh, played some real basketball, 2K, uh, getting, you know, burned by Gerald Green and, and the likes. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do kind of think it's over, and it's sad because I want to be the guy, and I usually well, Golden State simply did what Golden State was supposed to do, and they won their two home games. I mean, sure, as the road team, you know, it's contingent on your championship that you might steal one of those games. But I feel like usually it's business as usual when the home team takes the first couple and, you know, you head back home and, you know, Cleveland could tie it up. But I don't know, man. I know we like to say whether you win by 50 or one, you know, a win's a win and an L's an L. But 77 to a buck 10? And, and, I mean, you got LeBron James on your team. I, I just – I don't know. And then the possibility of Kevin Love missing time from that elbow to the head, it's its not looking good for Cleveland. So let's get into a few of those things. We're, we're going to switch roles because here's what Cleveland has going for them, in my opinion. So I, I'm going to argue for Cleveland because I'm not exactly sure that this series is, is over already. I'm not ready to, to, you know, bring down the casket. You know, we got the funeral plans going, you know what I mean? We're, we're, booking, the, we're booking the coffin just in case we're kind of picking them out, seeing what's going on. Maybe we've got a life insurance policy going on. But I'm, I'm not sure that we're ready to bury them yet. So like you said, they are coming home. And if, if you want to get into, like, like exactly what you said, Golden State took care of business in, in games one and two. They did what they were supposed to do. But you got game three, you got a desperation, a desperate team. You got the home crowd, home crowd behind them. You got a, you know, a Cleveland city that hasn't won anything in a long time, so they're going to be raucous. They know they need the, the Cavs know that they need the crowd. The crowd knows that the team needs them. So you, you're you're really going to have a very aggressive team in Game Three. So let's say they can get Game Three because that's usually even in a non-competitive series, Game Three usually is a game that the other team can can get. So. The other thing I think that they have going for them is that LeBron has played the right kind of game. Granted, he didn't have a great performance, especially in game two. I thought he played well in game one, but obviously when you have more field, more turnovers than field goals, that, that's never a good sign. So game two obviously was an off game, but I think he's played the right kind of game, meaning he's been aggressive. He's been going to the rim. I mean, Andre Iguodala has played great defensively. I can't believe how how good he is at stripping the ball from LeBron James. It it's really is just completely amazing to me, even though I watch it multiple times. But sooner or later, LeBron going to the rim is a good play because he's going to be able to create, and that's his game. It's when he starts settling for jumpers where, where they make it bad. So what do, you, what do you think about those two points so far? I mean, I, you know, I think LeBron James trying to play his game is, is perfect, and, you know, it's, it's what he needs to do. I don't think we want to get to the point where uh, LeBron starts doing what everybody's been screaming for him to do for a long time, and that's just kind of Kobe a game. That's it's not LeBron's thing, and I, I really don't want to see LeBron, you know, trying to go out there and score 40 points because that's what Kobe would do. You know, Kobe's going out there with the goal to just score as many points as possible, especially in a big game, and I think with LeBron, it has to come to him. Can he score 40? And, you know, I don't want him to score 40, and then people are sending me hate mail going, I thought LeBron didn't need to – uh, score 40 for them to win I mean I think it's it's a great perk if he does score 40 obviously but you need you know you need a little bit of everything you need 25 and 8 and 8 out of LeBron that's what you want yeah. from him I think that's the, the type of game he gives you to win and I, I think there are some silver linings I mean that game one was a little weird I mean the bench beat them they kind of you know had the the quiet nights from their important players but I mean then you you look at game two and it was just like a a disaster, and I, I just feel like teams have a hard time coming back from this, especially a team who seems so content with just giving up when things get tough. That's the thing about Golden State is last series, we watched things get tough uh, with the Thunder. Even in the games, uh, like game six, 
or game five, the the Warriors never quit trying to win the game and score points. And I feel like Cleveland last night kind of quit. And I, I just when things like that start happening and now you're down two games, I, I feel like, yeah, maybe they win game three, but I think it's a situation where it's just as likely that they, you know, win game three, lose game four. And, and then, I mean, the three, one thing, I just don't see them having the firepower to come back against the team. That's that just shoots the ball and puts points on the board so much. So it seems like you do agree with my LeBron point though. Cause, cause I got more Cleveland bars in the chamber. I got more, I got more. Ammo I do. I do. I agree with that. Bad. Yeah, because I think the best, like you were saying, the best LeBron James game is not when he scores 40, but it's when he's a triple-double threat or he has a, an efficient, you know, he shoots 10 for 14 from the field and he's got like 12 assists and get, he's grabbing some boards. That, that's the LeBron James game that you want more so than the 40 game. So here's my other point. Steph Curry has been off all both games in games one and two. He, he really has not found the stroke yet. And part of that could be the way that Cleveland is defending him. Granted, part of it could just be that he's missing shots. Uh, 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 I'm perfectly content with, with deferring to that. But it could be that's the way that, the, that they are defending him. So maybe they figure something out. I thought Kyrie played pretty good defense both games, even though they in the losing efforts. So the other thing I want to go to, and, and I'll have your response to that, Steph, point, but my stronger point is one that you brought up. With Kevin Love probably out for at least game three, they don't have to think as much on offense. What I mean by that is it, it always seems like, especially, and this is historically in the NBA, you also saw it in Miami with Chris Bosh, where – when you have a big guy on the floor, you have to strategically give him the ball, even though it may not be in the flow of the offense, because you got to get him his touches. And I think Kevin Love is sort of a fragile mental player, especially now in Cleveland with all the hype and everything. And I think we can say that he is like the third fiddle, and they do sort of try to find time to get him the ball. So now that you don't have to do that, you can kind of play more in the flow of the offense. And Channing Frye, which will probably play more of the minutes, is more of a glue guy, and he can kind of stay out on the three-point line. You don't have to worry about we need to get Channing Fry a touch because Channing Fry gets touches, and he's lucky to get the ball at least once, and he'll be grateful. So what do you think about that point? With Kevin Love out, it might be more of addition by subtraction. You know, I, I've heard a lot of people saying that since yesterday, and, you know, I I do agree, and I think I agree, and I don't agree for the reason that most people are saying because most people are just like Kevin Love's junk, you know, that kind of thing. I think it's the flow. It really is, and there was a couple times I noticed it early last night, too, where it almost didn't make sense to me. I mean, I understand Kevin Love, you know, people will say, you got to give him the ball when he has a smaller guy on him. Cleveland was purposely getting the switch at one point, and I thought it was awful for the flow of the game because, you know, Golden State wants to run, and then it was almost like Cleveland was like, no, we're going to force him to do what we want to do by posting up Kevin Love. But then you see Love will get a post up on a small guy, and he's still taking, like, turnaround jump shots. And I just I, – I don't feel like it's the best thing. I, I do think Channing Fry. you have to give Channing Fry more than, you know, seven, eight minutes a game because he has to get in the flow. He's a shooter. But he can offer you right. some of the things that Golden State wants to get. I will tell you, though, my biggest problem, I think, so far with this series is out of eight quarters – and this is honestly a way I kind of – I've kept it to myself a little because I feel like it's my cheat code a little bit. But when I've sized up the Warriors against other teams, I've tried to look at – well, because I think you, you think about a team and you, you hear the saying so much, it's four quarters, 48 minutes, you, you got to play to win the – you know, win four quarters, not one at a time. But I feel like with Golden State, you have to concentrate on one at a time because you're trying to outlast them when they go on these runs. And I feel like by looking at what teams can do in each quarter, and then maybe this isn't foolproof, but this is how I've, I've measured Golden State this year. 
I'm looking at quarters where you can score 25 points or more, and Cleveland has had one and eight. Oh, boy. And that was in game one. They scored 25, and they scored exactly 25 points in the third quarter. They had 24 in the fourth. But they've been under 20 points in three out of eight quarters, only hit that 25-point mark once. And I, I feel against a team that shoots the ball so well and they want to score so much, you have to try to keep up at some point. And, I mean, to that point, uh, Golden State's only had three out of eight quarters where they didn't score at least 25 points, and they've had three where they scored 30 or better. So uh, I feel like the, the discrepancy there of not, not necessarily being able to win, you know, these quarters here and there is really killing Cleveland to just, you know, you look, and they look at this stuff, they see these box scores. So I think like, you know, this, this is one of those things that's going to mentally play them all series if they can't put the ball in the basket. And to your point, that's sort of the way what you're talking about with Cleveland having to play a quarter at a time against the Warriors. That's sort of how the Warriors ended up beating the Thunder in the Western Conference Finals. If you remember, they lost two games like in the second quarter in the six-minute stretch. OKC just went on a run, blew the game open, and then basically the Warriors couldn't come back from that. And it almost happened to them again in Game 5, and then again in Game 6. And if you remember the inside tracks, you know, the TNT thing, Steve Kerr even said to them, we were down 13 last game and we came right back. Just take it one quarter at a time. You know, you're going to be fine. We're going to get back into this. So what you're talking about, the Cleveland Cleveland having to do against the Warriors is exactly what the Warriors did against the Thunder. So it, I definitely think that is a valid point. Let me make one last point for the Cavaliers and why the series may not be over. I really think, along with the fact where, where you alluded to with the Golden State role players, where role players always play better at home, I think that's a well-known fact in the NBA, but also I think that the Cavaliers have gotten some pretty good performances out of their role players. Uh, Tristan Thompson has been pretty good on the boards, especially the offensive boards. He's given up some offensive boards to the Warriors, which OKC didn't do. Um, like Festus Azili had a couple of putbacks. Bogus had a couple of putbacks. Um, Richard Jefferson's played out of his mind. And I even like what I saw from Amon Shumpert in his time. You know, he's playing good defense on clay. He's, you know, doing what he does, playing in a very limited role, but doing it well. So if those guys can sort of step it up a little more at home, then maybe, you know, those those role players can get them a win, and obviously they need both wins. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody's going to say that they can just win, split it at right now. So maybe they can win games three and four behind their role players. What do you think about that, both the role players of Cleveland playing well and the role players of the Warriors maybe not playing as well now that they're on the road. I feel like it's the game one was probably the pinnacle for the Warriors, and I did say that, and I caught a little heat because people were, you know, I had uh, one guy was, why, why do people always say that, that they're not going to do this again? Well, what we're saying when I say that the Golden State bench won't do this again, what they did in game one, is I don't mean they'll never, ever in their lives ever do that again. I just mean it's super unlikely to happen, I mean, more than once in one series. And I don't think people really get that. The degree of difficulty to do what that bench did in the first game, and, and you know, and as abysmal as Cleveland's bench was, I think both of those things are things that just don't happen typically enough for us to rely on that. So that's why I use that example. But I, I do think they need to – expand the bench play a little bit. And obviously if Kevin Love isn't able to play in some games, that's going to open things up because they're not just going to say here, Channing Fry, here's 36 minutes. Um, so I, I think to me, one guy I would really like to see in the game more and he can't be there if he can't make shots that time on Shumpert. And I, I just, I feel like they're, they're, they're missing out on what he could potentially do to any number of guys defensively. I mean, 
the way Golden State lines up and comes out there on the floor, it's I mean, it's plausible to say that Iman Shumpert could guard four out of five guys on the court. So I think to have that much value defensively against an offensive juggernaut, and it's just wasting away on the bench because, I mean, Shump, Shump, it's crazy to me that, you know, Shump and J.R. Smith became part of this Cavs team. I was like, man, Shump's going to be awesome. I didn't really care about J.R. Smith. And then here's J.R. Smith you know, just out there eating up all the minutes. I think Shumper got Shumper got 17 minutes in game one, um, opposed to 35 from JR, and then 33 from JR in game two and 20 from Shump in game two. But I, the thing with Shump is it's it's the shooting. He's not make, he's not putting the ball in the basket, and this has been Shump's problem. But he's going to need to make shots to be out there on the floor, and I really think they need him. But, yeah, I do. I, I, I see a spike coming back here when we go back to Cleveland. I think the bench guys, are they're going to be comfortable. They're probably not going to have that smoking hot girl distracting them that's at the Warriors games either. So, you know, it's, it's probably a win-win. You know who agrees with you about that your Amon Shepard take when, when the trade went down was Nick's management because I'm pretty sure that J.R. Smith was the not only the throw-in, but they were like, we won't give you Iman Shumpert unless you take J.R. Smith. Like, you have to take him, otherwise we're hanging up this phone right now. And the Cavaliers GM was like, okay, if i got to have J.R. to get Amon Shumpert, then I guess that's what we're going to do. And now, like you're saying, to, to watch it where J.R. Smith is sort of the guy that's playing 35 minutes a night and Shumpert's the guy on the bench is, is sort of ironic. So here is my last point about the Cleveland Cavaliers' chances to win the NBA Finals. My last point is, who am I kidding? This is over so much that we are doing an advanced <laughs> departed segment for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Willy Wonka, take us out. It's all there, Cleveland. black and white, clear as crystal. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. I hope I sold it, though. I, I hope I, I sort of seemed like that I, that I thought the Cavaliers can, can make the comeback. I think at this point it's just whether the brooms are coming out. I, I honestly feel that way. Uh, I don't see any way that this Cavalier team is going to be able to beat the Warriors. But in, in 20 minutes, I hope I maybe made a case that they could, and then when they do actually come back, I can be like, yeah, you saw me make all the points, and this is exactly what's happening. So I'm, I'm playing the fence, basically, but not really because I don't think there's any chance. So to that point, we are going to reminisce about the Cavaliers' season and sort of what they've done in the last couple of years to get to this point in the finals. It looks like they are going to lose two finals in a row. And basically what we want to do is, is it worth it? You know, if they could go back, let's just say Doc Brown got into the DeLorean and was able to bring you back and, and he just was, was out there. Into the future. So if he sent you, we're going to go back to a few dates in the Cleveland Cavaliers history here, Andy. And I, and I want to say stay or change for each, each of these things. First they were going back is January 22nd, 2016. The Cleveland Cavaliers fired David Blatt as their coach. Would you stay or would you change? I, I'd stay. I, I never, I mean, we talked about this when it happened. I never really thought Blatt convinced me enough. He didn't have enough Eric's ultra-like moments, uh, you know, to prove that he could manage this type of star power. Not that I think his replacement was really any better, but at least he dropped the F-bomb on LeBron. <laughs> that is a redeeming quality. I would also say, you know, I think like we talked about when he got fired, I don't think David Blatt was ever really hired for this particular job to coach a final team. He was hired to coach an up-and-coming team with the first-round pick and Andrew Wiggins and Kyrie Irving, and then LeBron just sort of threw the curveball saying he was going back to Cleveland, and they were just still stuck with this guy that they hired two weeks before and didn't really know what to do. But I, I think I think it was a good decision. You obviously want somebody that LeBron gets along with, and it it seemed like for whatever reason David Blatt and LeBron just never clicked, and Tyron Lue and him do click. So 
I, I think you can really defend that decision. I don't think that's really where the mistake was made. So we are going to go even further back to August 23rd, 2014. The Cleveland Cavaliers trade first pick Andrew Wiggins to the Timberwolves for Kevin Love. Stay or change? This is a tough one. Ooh, that one hurts, doesn't it? I, I, I would change that. I in, in fact, I would have changed that like the moment it happened. I was really never a fan of this. I always thought that you keep your young asset because, heck, in a year. So now, right now, when they're playing meaningful basketball, who would you rather have against the Golden State Warriors, Andrew Wiggins or Kevin Love? I'm taking Wiggins all day, every day, 15 times on Sunday, and it's not even close for me. And he costs significantly less. I feel like, especially with the way this game has changed in even the last two years, I think a LeBron and Wiggins duo would be super scary, especially along with Tyree. Not to mention the other pieces they could have had involved in this team without Kevin Love's $20 million a year just hanging out, chilling. So I was going to say stay, but you made a point that I, I guess I really didn't think about, and I don't know why I didn't think about it. Was the, the money standpoint really is an interesting kind of curveball because I was just thinking personnel-wise, you know, Kevin Love at the time really, and I mean, st- still is. I mean, let's not like, discount Kevin Love. I feel like he he really has formed the Chris Bosh role on the team where it's just easy to blame him when things go wrong. But I think there's blame to go all around. Um, Kevin Love, I still believe in him. I still think that he is a good player in the right situation. I just don't think that this is the right situation for him. You know, I think if he were to be on, let's say, the Boston Celtics, like I've been suggesting probably for about a year now, I think that would be a, a very good situation for him where he can sort of rebound and redeem himself because I do believe that he still has talent. So this one's a tough one for me because when Andrew Wiggins was selected with the first pick, I was not completely sold on him. And I think we have seen some of his flaws even come out where you have a guy like Carl Anthony Towns that came in and really has a lot of the leadership qualities that Andrew Wiggins doesn't have which is why Cat might be the perfect player for Wiggins to play with because they can kind of be Batman and Robin, and there's nothing wrong with being Robin. I mean, Scotty Dippen had a perfectly su- successful career doing it, and there's nothing wrong with it. But sometimes it's just not – you're not everybody's Batman. It's not made for everybody. So I think at the end of the day, with the money aspect that you brought up, I think I am going to flip-flop to, from what I was going to say originally because I was going to stay originally, but I think I would change that one too. Uh, I think I would, I would keep Wiggins if, if I were Cleveland. I could go back. Now, July 11th, 2014, this is the big day. LeBron James announces his return to the Cavaliers. This is not about the Cleveland Cavaliers. If you're LeBron James, stay or change? No, oh, I'm changing. I'm <laughs> I'm changing. I'm changing, man. I'm changing. I, You know, and it, and it took me almost nearly this about three quarters of the way through this season because I was, I was a fan of it at first. You know, I was, I said, you know, I, I like that he's going back. I think at this point, uh, you know, he they've got some pieces there, which I don't think they really ever had in Cleveland before LeBron went to Miami, but I don't know, man, seeing like the things, obviously there's probably no, no Dradich there. And, but you have Wade and, and I mean, Bosch's illness and stuff is blood clots and all that, but I still think that he, he may be, should have just stayed in, in Miami. And it's a hard one for me because I would fan him going back to Cleveland, but I, I don't know. I feel like with not being able to win in Cleveland in two years and now he's taken, like, more flack than he probably ever needed and he already had more than he deserved. I mean, he should have just stayed where the party was, LeBron. South Beach. 
This one, I, I disagree. I would stay. I think I would, I would still go back to Cleveland if I was LeBron because I think you've seen the Miami team. Is, you know, obviously you can't just completely, especially now that you have the knowledge if you're going in a time machine, right, you have the knowledge that Chris Bosh is not going to be Chris Bosh. So, I mean, that's a huge part of it, it would be for me. Um, but I think even even without knowing that, I think that Miami core was getting older. Obviously, Dwayne Wade was getting older. They don't have a lot of those role players that, that they had in the past. And, I mean, obviously, if you still have LeBron, you could probably have had different role players like a James Jones probably still would have stuck around, obviously. But, Mike Miller. you know, to me, yeah, Mike Miller definitely would still be there. But to me, the, what, what he did, I thought, was a very strategic basketball move. He, he traded in an older superstar core for a younger superstar core, which, and he thought it was going to work. And I don't, I don't think it, it hasn't worked. I mean, he's made two straight finals with a team that basically was, what, a 23-win team, you know, the season before he got there. So he really has salvaged it. And I think that we, we like the instant gratification so much that we sort of discount exactly what the Cavaliers have accomplished in the two years LeBron has been there. And I know that the window is closing, obviously, but – they, they still have accomplished a lot, and I don't think it's completely over. It's not like this team doesn't have a future. You know what I mean? They have chips that can be traded, including Kevin Love. They have, you know, sort of cap room, especially depending on what LeBron does with his new deal and stuff like that and, and the new cap that's coming out. You know, they have Kyrie Irving on a reasonable contract, which is my bonus question. July 11, 2014, we can go back to the same day. LeBron is there. He's in Cleveland. And then the Cavaliers, knowing that LeBron James is coming, signed Kyrie Irving to a max five-year, $90 million extension. You'd think if they knew that LeBron was coming, and they know what they know now, stay or change Kyrie Irving on a max deal, five-year max? I think I would stay. I mean, I I feel like we see the money spent in this league now. Um, I'm not even particularly a huge fan of Kyrie Irving. I mean, I I respect back to game real net real recognized real i mean he's a phenomenal player but i mean i, I think so i you a lot of this stuff we talk about contracts you talk about these guys getting huge deals you got to understand understand the supply and demand in the league i think sometimes we just look at a deal and say oh that's kind of crazy but with a guy like Kyrie, i mean you're talking elite level point guard talent in this league a guy who can shoot the ball a guy who can dribble the ball uh, i think we do question his leadership skills and perhaps his defense at times and you know sometimes his shot selection but yeah I, I think you stay and i think you know that's one of those pieces that is like a hey we're committed to this lebron we've got you your superstar you know whether whether you know they it worked out that way i mean I, I think that having the staple player there obviously makes your franchise uh more alluring whether you're getting lebron james or any other big name free agent yeah, this would definitely have to be a hindsight change. This would have to be you know what's going to happen and you want to go back and you're saying, like, if we can't make it with Kyrie, because at, at the time I don't think you can justify not giving Kyrie the money except his injury concerns, which I think has persisted throughout his deal. So, you know, that's the only tough thing about it is that when you have a guy that doesn't has not really stayed on the court consistently for more than a year period of time, if, if that, I don't think Kyrie's ever played. I don't, I don't know what the most games Kyrie has played. It might have been this season. So I think that would be the only tough thing, but I think I would also stay. So I, the point I wanted to make here with the stay or change thing is I don't know what Cleveland could have done differently to get, even though they might get swept, I don't know what they could have done differently that would have changed sort of the outcome of, of what is happening here. It does seem like they've made a lot of right decisions. Um, the Andrew Wiggins thing I think is the only questionable one. So we're going to move on to the end of our show. 
Um, first, we're going to do our cosigns like we do every week. You rock with us, we rock with you. That's how we move around here. So here's some Facebook groups that have co-signed the, the uh, podcast. Please go to the Facebook group and like them. Everybody gets busy in all these groups. We've got Sports Overtime with a Z, S-P-O-R-T-Z, Overtime, Real NBA Talk, and NBA News. Go like them on Facebook. The end of our show, as always, like Jay-Z once told us, we don't believe you need more people. Andy Flynn, who needed more people this week in the NBA? I feel like we have a lot of people to choose from. You know, I had one, and it was prior to last night, and I was like, man, this is going to be good. And now I'm not even going to use it because Steph Curry, you need more people, and it's not anything you've done wrong, but it's what that girl on the sidelines wants to do to you, fella, and you better stay away. You better stay away. I'm telling you to stay away. Go talk to Dell. Get some uh, coaching. Get him in your ear. He's been through it before. Young man, do not do it. So I am referencing the same situation, but I am going with the other side. Roni Rose, who is the girl that was staring at Steph with the uh, FUIs. You know, we, we don't curse on this show. So that is the person that needed more people. The new spokeswoman of All Thoughts United. You will be on a VH1 show before you know it, I promise you. But you came at the Queen Aisha, and that is unacceptable. We will not accept this like Daisy once well, told us. we don't believe you. You need more people. And with that, that is the close of our show. Join us next week as we continue our journey around the NBA. Make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at NLP Podcast to see us tweet Wizard of Oz basketball means we really do it. And like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NLP Pod. That's N like Nando DiColo, L like Larry Hughes, P like Paul Pierce. We will close as we always do with the great philosopher Jason White Chocolate Williams, who once probably thought basketball is a lot like last fall at the bar, sometimes better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night.